In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to continue our study of the book of First Kings. Um, last time we studied uh, chapters uh, 11 and 12, I believe, and we spoke about like a major transition point in the book of First Kings. Do you remember what it was? What is it that happened significant in the last la in the last Bible study? The split, yes. The split, and right prior to that was Solomon. What happened with King Solomon? Turned away from God, right? So the downfall of Solomon, the death of Solomon, and then his son, what was his name? Rehoboam, right? Rehoboam became king, and then he made a foolish decision, um, which then resulted in the kingdom being split. There was another man whose name is? Jeroboam, right? Jeroboam and Rehoboam. Jeroboam in the north, God had told him that he was going to be king over ten of the tribes, and he sent this prophet, his name is Ahijah, to, uh, he, he did something to, to indicate that he would be the king over ten tribes. You remember what it was? When Ahijah the prophet met Jeroboam, this is before he was anybody, he was just, he was one of the officers of Solomon. Uh, he, he came to him and he did something with his clothes. He was wearing this garment and he did something to the garment. He took the garment and he cut it to 12 pieces. Cut it. Cut it into 12 pieces and he gave Jeroboam 10 of the pieces, right? Which meant that he was going to be king over 10 of the tribes. Okay? So by the time we're done, okay, so J Jeroboam is the king in the north over ten tribes. Rehoboam is the king in the south over the two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, which are kind of combined together. So sometimes it's just called Judah, but it's really meaning Judah and Benjamin together. And the first thing that Jeroboam did as king is what? Yes, so he built, he, b he made these two golden calves, he placed one in the north, I believe in the city of Dan, uh, in the region of Dan, and then one in the south in the city of Bethel. Okay, And why did he do that? Why did he make two places of worship in Israel? So the people won't have to go to Judea. Yes, yeah, so they won't have to travel down to the southern kingdom of Judah because that's where they were supposed to go. All right? They were supposed to go to the temple in Judah to offer sacrifice. Um, and Jeroboam felt threatened by this, right? He said, if the people go down to Judah, what's to keep them from just leaving my kingdom and going to dwell in the southern kingdom? So even though God had blessed Jeroboam, had told Jeroboam that he was the rightful king, Jeroboam did not ask to be king. He did not steal the throne. He didn't commit any sin to obtain the throne. Um, and God said that he would bless him and, 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 and his lineage and generations to come if Jeroboam remains faithful. So Jeroboam found himself in this position that he didn't ask for that was a very good position. He was a king of a whole kingdom. And he was blessed by God to be. And yet, the first thing he does is he begins to think with his mind, like, how can I maintain power, right? He didn't think to himself, well, God is the one who brought me power. God is going to keep power for me because he promised me. It wasn't built out of faith. It was, it was now that I'm king, I have to hoard the power. I have to maintain the power. I have to, I have to manage it myself, okay? And so this is one of the, the downfalls of Jeroboam. And he introduced idol worship to Israel in a way that's even surpassing what was done in the southern kingdom. So we know, of course, that in the southern kingdom, King Solomon had built high places. He had allowed for the idol worship to happen. But what Jeroboam did was even worse, okay? And, and so from this point onward, uh, the, the sin and the wickedness of the northern kingdom, for the most part, is going to be worse than the southern kingdom. And eventually, um, they are going to be punished by God. They're going to go into exile, um, exile to the Assyrians in 722 BC, and they're never going to return. Right. So this is um, kind of the beginning of the end for the northern kingdom. Yes. There was going to be a split. Was that because of what Solomon had done? 
Or was it because of what Jeroboam had done? No, because of what Solomon had done. Okay. So he said that because of the sin of Solomon, he was going to split the kingdom, but he was not going to do it in his own lifetime, but in the lifetime of his son, who is Rehoboam. Okay. So that's the second time God has waited for the son to do it. So he waited for Solomon to build the temple that David prepared for, and then this yes. time Solomon's son. So there seems to be a pattern that God does this. Yeah, it's happened several times. Or like God has a specific time in mind for something, and he waits for it to be done. Yeah, good. Okay. So we'll um, start in chapter 13. So it says, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. Okay, so what is significant about the city of Bethel? What's in the city of Bethel? The golden calf. Yes, one of the two golden calves that Jeroboam had made was in Bethel. So Bethel had become kind of like a center of this pagan worship in Israel, the northern kingdom. Okay, um, Jeroboam had created his own form of worship, not just the golden calves, but he also had created his own feast days. He had created his own rites. He, he created a whole system where he appointed people to be priests. And here we see that he himself was acting as a priest because it says that he stood by the altar to burn incense. The only one who, whom God had set to be priest were the sons of Aaron from the tribes of Levi, right? Whereas here, uh, Jeroboam himself had taken upon himself um, the priesthood, okay? So this man of God... So the Bible refers to him as the man of God. This is a prophet who was sent from the southern kingdom of Judah to the northern kingdom to address Jeroboam, to speak to him about all that's happening, about, about this pagan worship, about what he's doing, offering incense at the altar, everything that he's doing. God sent this prophet from the southern kingdom, and we don't know his name. He's just referred to as the man of God. Okay, He's coming from Judah. Then he cried out against the Lord by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child Josiah by name shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. This is a prophecy that this prophet proclaimed here at this time, speaking about this child, Josiah, who is Josiah? Who's Josiah? Did we hear about Josiah before? King Josiah? He's, he hasn't been born yet, right? He's actually, this is 350 years before King Josiah, okay? So he's prophesying that there is going to be this king, and he was a child king. He was, became king when he was still a child. Um, uh, and he is going to exterminate idol worship from the northern kingdom, okay? And, 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 uh, and, and, and to kill the priests who are the, the pagan priests and all this. Um, and then what's interesting here is when he is addressing, he's not actually speaking to Jeroboam. He's speaking to the altar, right? He's speaking to the altar as though that this altar has more sense than the king himself, right? He's not talking to the king, trying to convince the king that what he is doing is wrong because actually God has already told him about everything that he's doing is wrong. He knows that this is wrong according to God's command that it is wrong. So this, this, this uh, man, this man of God, this prophet, he is coming and he is addressing the altar itself as though telling the altar like to refuse the priesthood of uh, Jeroboam. To refuse, like don't... Don't, al don't allow Jeroboam to offer these uh, incense and to offer sacrifice on you because, because you are not a lawful priest. And God is rejecting this offering. And maybe we can speak a little bit about this point, is that some people see religion as being a way of human expression. Right? Like, I want to express myself. I have a sense of what I believe you know spiritually like my spiritual life what is spirituality and i want to express that spirituality and i express that spirituality in a way that makes me to feel uh you know like like makes me to feel good 
makes me to feel like I'm doing something right, I'm doing something good, okay? Makes me to feel like I'm connecting with, uh, you know, like with the, the, the divine, okay? But what God actually is saying is, I don't want you to worship me according to your own understanding. I want you to worship me according to what I have defined for you to be the limits and boundaries of what I will accept from you. Meaning, God doesn't just accept anything we offer, right? Even if this man, Jeroboam, was coming with a good intention, let's say, but he was coming to offer contrary to what God had defined. He said, no, there's only a certain category of people that will offer incense, okay? There was only a certain category of people that could carry the Ark of the Covenant. There was only a certain category of people who, who, who had the, the role of building the tabernacle. And God defined for them what they were, okay? So here, this man, Jeroboam, he is... And, and, and we'll see this time and time again in the Old Testament that anytime someone who was not a priest tried to take the role of the priest, there was disaster. There was disaster happening, right? Um, like, for instance, when King Saul took the role of the priest and offered sacrifice before he went to battle, there was a disaster. He actually, God rejected him from being king, okay? Here also, he's trying to take this role upon himself, and we'll see what it is that's going to happen. It says, and he, and, and he gave a sign that the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him. Then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so that he could not pull it back to himself. Okay? So, um... Jeroboam, um, originally, when the first prophet came to him, Ahijah, who was telling him that he was going to be king, he was willing to listen to this prophet, right? Because the, the, the message that the prophet gave to him was, was pleasant for him. He's telling him, you're going to be a king, and you're going to be king over ten tribes. He believed this, right? He believed and he followed what is it that Ahijah had told him to do. But now another prophet from God is coming to him, and he's saying, to him, no, what you are doing is wrong, right? And he rejects this because the message is not to his liking, right? So sometimes we, um, we believe that we are being obedient and submissive to God and we are following him, but we, we are really following is our own heart. We are following what I, what I would like it to be, and we are very selective in selecting this that I will follow and this that I am rejecting. This is one of the reasons, actually, when God places us under authority, like the authority of human beings, like let's say the authority of the church, and the church comes and says, um, we will do this and we will not do this, okay? And then you might find some people um, upset and not wanting to follow what is it the church had defined, like for them. And they might say something, it's like, well, I, God didn't tell us to do this. Why is the church telling us to do this when God didn't tell us to do this, right? Um, the church sets, for instance, certain rules of fasting, Okay, and people might come frustrated by the church fasting rules. Why is it the church is asking to fast all of these days and all this, and I really don't want to do it, and maybe I don't do it? Okay, well, if the church came to you and said that you are a blessed person and that God shows favor to you and, and, and your sins are forgiven and let's promote you to a higher rank and all these wonderful things, would you accept it from the mouth of the church that all of these things are true and you would feel so happy that like you are being blessed in this way? But when you are receiving kind of rebuke, um, you do not accept, right? So one of the ways that like maybe it helps to expose our own heart before God and before ourselves is to see what what kind of message am I am I accepting? Am I just am I accepting everything that comes from God, or am I accepting only what I want to accept? And this is maybe the postmodern Christianity that we see like kind of in our society that even those who are Christian, many are just going to pick and choose what they like. Right, I, I, I like this particular message about this topic, but I don't like this other message. So I reject this other message, and I justify that based on whatever. Um, but this other message over here, I will take it, and I will work with it and accept it. So here, this is what Jeroboam was doing. Like There were some things that he accepted, some things he um, rejected. So here, definitely, he's rejecting the idea of this rebuke that is coming from this man of God to him. Okay. Um, and so it says, surely the altar shall split apart and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Meaning the altar itself, the altar that this man was speaking to, itself is now being destroyed, right? It's, it is self-destructing, right? Because it is being used in this unlawful um, way. 
Um, and so when King Jeroboam tried to arrest the man of God, immediately his hand withered and he couldn't pull it back to himself. Like it became frail and withered and he couldn't move it. He became like paralyzed, right? And he wasn't able to function with it. And so in this moment, God, of course, supported the message of the prophet and Jeroboam realized what he was doing was sin. What he was doing was wrong. God is rejecting what he is doing. You're there offering incense. Offering incense to what? Or to who? Right? Like, is God accepting this incense that you're offering to him just because it's, quote-unquote, a religious activity and you see it as a religious activity that God is accepting? No, God has explicitly said, you are not lawfully allowed even to offer um, this, this incense. The altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Okay. Um, one other thing we can kind of see in this, sometimes we feel that evil is more powerful than good because we see evil everywhere. Like evil is very prevalent. We, we look around us and we see there is evil everywhere. We hear evil on the news every day. We see people acting in a wicked way, right? And it's easy for us to begin to get the sense that everything is out of control. Like everything is, is going in a direction where we are, we're not able to, to, how is it that we are going to live? How is it that we are going to exist? How is the church going to continue to exist in such a world that is filled um, with wickedness? But actually, we see that God has the, the power and the ability to destroy evil. He has the authority to stop those people who are sinners. And he has the authority to uh, support and uphold those people who are righteous. And this man is a messenger of him. He's a prophet. And he was sent there to perform this, um, this mission. So the reason that God here in this specific case is even sending this man is why. Why do you think what do you think this man was sent by God to Jeroboam? Was it to destroy Jeroboam? No. Why? Was it maybe to tell the people that not all worship is accepted? Okay, so definitely that's a message. Not all worship is accepted. And what else? What is Jeroboam going to take away from this? So he's definitely, like, he's, he's offering contrary to God's command. And that God is coming to rebuke him so that what? So he repents. Like by doing this, God is actually being merciful to him. Maybe in, the, in his own eyes when he sees this man come in and he of course as the king is the highest authority in the land and also functioning as the priest and this man comes in and he says what you're doing is unlawful and his reaction is who are you to tell me this and arrest this man and all of this so maybe he's seeing like this is an act of defiance against him but what it actually is is an act of mercy because God could have very easily just destroyed Jeroboam he could have had him killed he could have done anything to him but here by reaching out to him he is telling him what I want to correct you because again I am the one who chose you to be king God's intention was that this man be a righteous king Right? So I want to correct you so that you can be back on the straight path so that you also lead all of this nation. Remember, these are still his children, these 10 tribes. This is the majority of Israel here, the 10 tribes, that they follow him in a righteous way. Okay, So we can kind of reflect on the reason that God does not destroy evil immediately and instantly, that maybe we wish he would, is because God wants people to come to repentance, and we are among that. We are also sometimes sin, and God wants us to come to repentance. In 2 Peter 3.9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but he is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. When it says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, it's referring to the promise of judgment. Like God is saying, I am the judge, I will come to judge the world. But when people come and say, well, nothing has changed, God has not judged, their evil still exists. He's saying, I am not slow, to fulfill my promise, but 
I am wait, I am patient, I am long-suffering, so that all, everyone has a chance for repentance. And this is the mission of this prophet who is coming to Jeroboam, which is to um, pr pr produce in him a repentance, a change, right? Which is why he was sent. Another amazing thing about the way that God operates is that, of course, we know that God already knows the outcome, right? God already knows. He knew that Jeroboam was going to do this. He knows actually what's going to happen from this prophet being sent. And actually Jeroboam is not going to change his ways. Maybe if temporarily he appears like he's repentant, but he doesn't actually change his ways. And yet God still went through the whole process of sending the prophet. God could have said from the beginning, when he saw Jeroboam sinning, he could have said, there is no hope for you. I know that you're never going to repent. I'm going to destroy you now. And we'll just move on to the next person who is, you know, hopefully a better king than you. But he didn't. He, 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 he wanted Jeroboam himself. And God wants us ourselves to see and realize how much mercy we have received and to realize that in the end, all of our decisions are our own. It's my own free will decision. So that no one can come and claim to say to God, well, you didn't give me a chance. No, I gave you a chance. Even though I knew that maybe the chances that I would give you were futile and that you were not going to actually change. And yet I still gave you the chance so that you yourself will know that I did all that I could do in order for you to be saved and you're the one who rejected it, right? And so this is what's happening here, right? God gave Jeroboam this opportunity. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, the king's hand was restored to him and became as before. What brought on, so remember, we just, the, the man came in and he, he rebuked the king and the king's response was, arrest him, okay? So why now is he pleading and, and asking um, the man, the prophet, to pray for him so that his, his hand would be restored? What, what just happened? What changed? Jeroboam saw that he is weak. He saw his own weakness. Like he realized like in his, before this, he felt very strong. Right? He felt like I am the king. I am the priest. I'm the one who decides what happens. Everyone follows me. Whatever I say goes. I will do whatever I want. And no one will stop me. Um, and he felt like invincible. Right? There was nothing that could have stopped him. No person could have stopped him. But now in, in, in the one area that God knew his weakness and his pride and arrogance, he said, I will wither his hand. Just his hand, I will wither his hand, and then he will realize that he is not anywhere as invincible or as strong as he thinks himself to be. And in that moment of weakness, when we feel really truly our weakness, maybe that's where humility settles in. And we realize, like, I am not, I, I, I am not as strong as I believe myself to be, and I have to submit my will to God, and I need God, Right? When we feel like we need God, usually our spiritual life is healthy because we are, we are going to the source of what we need. It's kind of like when someone is hungry, they go to eat food, right? Because that is what they need in order to live. When we experience hunger, hunger is a healthy thing, right? Why does your body even experience hunger? It's because your body is telling you there's something that you're lacking and you need it in order to live, okay? Maybe we respond too much to that. Um, but, but the same is true for the spiritual. Like there should be a spiritual hunger, right? And that spiritual hunger should remind us always that we need to go and, get and, and be satisfied and fulfilled through, through God, turn to God for our, to meet our needs. But when a person feels like they are no longer in need of God, this is when they are just so puffed up with their own person and their own accomplishments and their own power and whatnot, and so they don't need. So here's such a very simple thing. When this man felt the pain of just his hand, you know, not being functioning anymore, he, he, he completely changed. Where was your strength that you thought you had? Where was the power that you thought you had? Now you realize your frailty and your weakness and you turn to God because anyone who begins to suffer in their body, in their flesh, in that way, has a very different outlook or mindset compared to someone who feels like they are, they are strong and that they, they can do anything. So, um, the, the man of God prayed, he asked God, and the Lord again in his mercy, 
he corrected it. He, 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 he healed his hand because the goal here was not to wither his hand. The goal here was to teach him a lesson. Okay, the, the wise people are the people who do the right thing without having to resort to this, without having to go through this trial. The person who is righteous because they, um, you know, be, because, they, because they trust in the word of God, because they want to follow Christ, because they want to be a disciple, because they, they have faith and believe, like such a person doesn't have to suffer the consequences of their mistakes, like this man. Like in Proverbs twelve fifteen, it says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but he who he heeds counsel is wise. So when, when, when the prophet comes and he tells Jeroboam that he is, you know, sinning, if he was a wise person, then he would heed the counsel, uh, but instead he was a fool. King David, when he was rebuked for his sin, he immediately repented. There wasn't even any defense or justification or rejection of what Nathan the prophet said to him. He immediately um, repented. So even now, God is seeking to correct Jeroboam when Jeroboam resisted. God responded, withered his hand, but then promptly healed, healed his hand again. He, he learned his lesson from this. Maybe also like Jonah the prophet. We just uh, finished the, the, the fast of Jonah, right? He, when Jonah was rebellious against God, God wanted to demonstrate to him how weak he really was. It's like, what do you mean you're running from me? There is, there, you, you don't realize it's impossible to run. From me, like even to what we would consider nowadays to be kind of like this, like this, this exaggerated story of, you know, being swallowed by a fish. Like, like the 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 story is so unique and and which sends such a unique message to us. It's like there is nothing you can do to escape him. There is nothing you can do to run away. And it was in the in the best interest of Jonah that this was to happen, because what if he had not? Like, what if God had just given up on Jonah at that point and said, okay, fine, you, you, you don't want to be my prophet, I will find another person to be the prophet and he will go and he do this work himself and there's nothing for you to do and he let him go to Tarshish where he wanted to go, leave his life behind, like maybe he would have, you know, he, he would have perished, right? But the, 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 the experience that he had with the fish that swallowed him, as traumatic as it was for Jonah and as we read the prayer that he prayed in the belly of the fish, Right, which was a very powerful prayer and a very heartfelt prayer. It was like in that moment that like I'm suffering such anguish that I can only turn to God for help. He is the only one who can help me, and I don't trust in myself. I don't trust in my mind. I don't trust in my will. I don't trust in anything. In that moment, all I can do is pray to God, ask Him save me from this. This is this is beyond my ability to endure, and certainly that's what happened. The wise person, though, is the person who doesn't need to be swallowed. Right, the person who doesn't need to be rebuked, the person who doesn't need to be corrected, that's the wise person. The person who never has to suffer the consequences and the seaweed, right? Of the 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 you know, like you can almost imagine, like if if any of us were to ever have gone through something like that, like we would be traumatized the rest of our life, right? Thinking about those three days of what it was like to be there. There's trauma associated with with mistakes and flaws and, and errors, right? We want we want to avoid. So even though yes, God forgives, but that doesn't mean that that when we walk away, we are without scars. Okay. So here, this was a scar. This is something that maybe Jeroboam was to learn, but he was to learn it the hard way, and it was actually a very short-lived um, lesson. <coughs> then the king said to the man of God, <coughs> "Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I will give you a reward." But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Okay, so the, pr the king, so one thing we don't hear here from the king, we don't hear really any repentance. We don't hear any real change. The first thing we hear from the king is, come, I will reward you. Right? What is it you're rewarding him for? What is it that he did because he healed your hand? Why are you rewarding the prophet for this? Right? Like, if, he, if he understood that this was something that was coming from God, yes, he would be like, wanting to make things right with the prophet maybe. But the attitude here that he has is kind of, it's not really one categorizing a man who is repenting. And actually some people say that, he was inviting him to influence him. 
It was inviting him because he wanted him actually to join his kingdom and be a priest for him. Okay? So there's something here that's still kind of not right. Now that his hand was healed, maybe the perfect example of this is Pharaoh in Egypt after the plagues. The moment that God removes the plague from Egypt and everything is good again, the Pharaoh goes right back again to the same bad behavior that he had before, even after so many, after 10 times, after 10 plagues, and every time experiencing a, suffer, a suffering greater than the, the first, greater than the previous, climaxing into this like horrible thing where all of the firstborn in Egypt die, and yet Pharaoh is still hardened, and he is unable to change. So here also we see this man, he's kind of like planning something. There's something in his mind, okay? Come, come, and I will give you a reward. But God had already prepared this prophet, and he told him from the beginning, do not eat anything there. Like, do not eat bread or water. Like, can you imagine you're traveling to this other nation, okay, and you're delivering this message, and he tells you, while you're there, don't eat or drink anything, right? Like, that's uh, that's pretty hard, right? Like, it's like God is telling him, I don't want you to spend any longer there than you need to be. I don't want you to enjoy anything there. I don't want you to be influenced by anyone there. I don't want you to do anything unnecessary there. I want you to just go tell the message and get out, and don't even come back the same way you came, completely separate, completely different, right? You're not there to enjoy yourself. You're there just to deliver the message. And maybe also God wants to protect him from what might happen, right? Because maybe he knows that the king is going to try to influence him and he's going to try to bribe him or offer him things or to schmooze, you know? So here he's saying, don't don't even eat it. So the, the prophet answered very wisely. He said, no, God told me not to eat or drink or do anything. So I'm going to leave now. And that was it. I don't want anything from you, king. Now, an old prophet in Bethel and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. They also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For, this, uh, for his sons had seen which way the man of God went, uh, who, uh, which, uh, which way the man of God went who came from Judah. So there is this other prophet this prophet now who lives in the northern kingdom, okay? And he had sons, and his sons saw all that had happened. They went back and reported to their father. And now the first father, who it says about him, he's an old prophet, he was curious about this man, and he wanted to go and meet him. So they knew where he went, so he is going to go and meet him. Then he said to his son, saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it, and went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you, nor go in with you. Neither can I eat bread, nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread, nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. Okay? So, so again, he's reemphasizing the same command that God gave him. It was very clear that this is coming from God. God told him clearly, do not do this. And this is now the second time that he's been asked, and the second time that he's responded with the same response. Okay, and 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 he, he wasn't going to listen and follow through with whatever this prophet was asking him to do. So again, God had given this as a protection for him. He said to him, "I too am a prophet, as you are." And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, "Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water." He was lying to him. He went back with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. So what do you think? No? Bad? So this prophet, some people say that he was intentionally trying to get him to fall. Although later on it seems like maybe not. Some people say that he was just very hospitable and wanted by any means to give this prophet some food or water and he took lightly this command of god of him saying no don't eat right you know like some people especially like egyptian people they love to feed you they love to give you food and if you say no no listen you have to come 
uh, even if God told you no, you have to come. You know, like, so there's different opinions about why this happened. But the bottom line is, he lied, okay, and he told him exactly the opposite of what God had said. So what do you think? If God is, if, 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 if this man was said this directly by God, what, what should he have done? What do you think would have been a better response than just going and eating with him? Does God go against his own word? Yeah, does, does God go against his own word? And if there was confusion and he didn't know, what could he have done? <coughs> he could have prayed. He could have asked God. Like Gideon, you know, when he, he, he wanted to know the will of God, he put out the fleece, you know, and, and then after God showed him with the fleece, like the dew on the fleece and the dew not on, on the ground, and then, he, and then he still wasn't satisfied, and he's like, well, let's reverse it. And next time, you know, the dew is going to be on the ground and not on the fleece, or I don't remember the order. But the idea was is that when someone wants clarification from God, especially a man like this, who is a prophet, who's clearly listening, like God is speaking to him in some form. What is the form by which God is speaking? Is it with an audible voice? Is it with some other means? But he clearly God is speaking to him very clearly in a way that he can completely understand, right? He could have very easily said, God, what is the, clarify for me, like what is happening? Why is it that this man is saying this? What do you want me to do? And God would have responded, right? There's also a question of why, if this prophet is here in Bethel, why am I being called from Judah to come here if there's a legitimate prophet right here um, so that should have raised you know some concern in his mind of like the legitimacy of this guy that's true and the other thing is this is the city of Bethel like if there was a legitimate prophet out of all places you would want to live why would you choose to live in Bethel Bethel is the area is the place of pagan worship like it's not a it's not a good place to be right now maybe that man would have moved and gone somewhere else maybe he would have gone to the southern kingdom or just at least move to a different place. So there was a lot of sketchy things about what's happening, but this man, he just kind of went through with it, right? What was in his mind? Was it, was it really that he was completely convinced? Was he just hungry and he said to himself, well, if he says God is the one who said it, then I'm just going to go with it. You know, um, we don't know. Now it happened as they sat at the table that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back. And he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying. So now th this is, now the word of God is coming to the old prophet, the prophet who lives in Bethel. And now he is speaking to the man of God from Judah. Okay? And this is what he's saying. Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you. But you came back, ate bread, and drank water in the place of which the Lord said to you, Eat no bread and drink no water. Your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. So he's going to die because of this. And can you imagine this situation where, like, somebody is inviting you to their house, they're telling you, God told me that you would come to eat in my house. And then the moment you come and eat in my house, now I tell you, because you did this, God has said that you are now going to die and your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. Right? It's very, um, so very, very sudden and very, very difficult for this man, of course, to hear this. So it was after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. When he was, uh, when he, when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. So as he was traveling, this lion came and he killed him. And there's a few things here to note about this. The first is lions don't just kill for sport. They kill to eat. And this lion did not eat him. He just sat there like looking at him. Okay. Also, there was a donkey there. If the lion wanted to eat, he could have killed the donkey, but he didn't. He just sat there with the donkey. Okay. Um, so, so again, some people might see this as like might might object to this, and they say, "Isn't this very harsh?" After this man had come all this way, and he was faithful in what he was asked to do, and and you know, at the very end, like like he made this mistake or he was deceived. And, and, you know, that his end would be this. 
the 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 thing to remember here is when you are dealing with someone like this who is a prophet, their understanding of God, their obedience of God, their faithfulness in God, their communication with God is such that like these kinds of things they know very well what they should do maybe differently than like an ignorant person who doesn't know what to do like maybe another example of this is Moses you know when when God told him speak to the rock so that water will come out of the rock and Moses kind of in his anger he struck the rock with his rod and yes the water still came out but because of this God told him you're not going to enter the promised land you're going to die before you go to the promised land and again someone might look at this and be like this is very harsh but this is Moses. Like Moses was speaking to God face to face. God, he saw the glory of God. He was like constant communication with God all the time. So even these small, what we would consider to be small things, um, are not very small, right? So God judges, of course, according to his economy and his wisdom. And he looks to each person of what they are capable of and what they are expected to do. And, you know, maybe we couldn't apply the same standard to someone else right but for this prophet and based on what he who he was and what he knew this should not have happened okay and and this was the the the, the punishment for it now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it he said it is the man of god who was disobedient to the word of the lord therefore the lord has delivered him to the lion which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the lord which he spoke to him and he spoke to his son saying saddle the donkey for me so they saddled it then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse the lion had not eaten the corpse nor the donkey not only had the lion not eaten the corpse or the donkey but the lion was still hanging out there like he was still standing there kind of like commemorating what had happened right so clearly that like this event with the lion was not like a natural event like it was it was that's not what would have happened in a, in a normal situation of a lion attack some of the lion would not just sit there next to this corpse and, and 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 donkey and the prophet took up the corpse of the man of god laid it on the donkey and brought it back so the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him then he laid the corpse in his own tomb and they mourned over him saying alas my brother so it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son saying when i am dead then bury me in the tomb where the man of god is buried lay my bones beside his bones for the saying which he cried out by the word of the lord against the altar in bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of samaria will surely come to pass so he is emphasizing the prophecy the same prophecy that was prophesied by this man that he prophesied against the altar he is also reinforcing it and he is like giving honor to him and saying uh you know i want to be buried with him even though he is the reason why this happened after this event jeroboam did not turn from his evil way but again he made priests from every class of people for the high places whoever wished he consecrated uh, he consecrated him and he became one of the priests of the high places and this thing was the sin of the house of jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth right so it's it's very clear here you know he is he is it says anyone who wanted to be a priest he would make him to be a priest and he uh did not turn from his evil but he made priests for all of the high places which where they were worshiping all of these different uh, gods and this this sin Okay, in verse 34, this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth, right? Because of the sin. Um, this, this was going to be the end of his house, right? And this was, again, introducing the, this idol worship into the nation of Israel in a way that um, became very entrenched and rooted in, in the mindset of the people. At that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. And Jeroboam said to his wife, Please arise and disguise yourself, that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam, and go to Shiloh. Indeed, Ahijah the prophet is there, who told me that I would be king over this people. So Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, is sick. So the wife of Jeroboam disguised herself so she could take him to the prophet Ahijah, who is the one who originally told Jeroboam he would be king where he had the garment and he, he ripped it into 12 pieces, okay? So he said, go back to that prophet. That prophet is the one who told me I would be king. Go back to him again, right? And, and, and see, uh, see uh, what he can do, 
Also take with you ten loaves, some cakes, and a jar of honey, and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. Okay? So, again, as before, when he wanted God's intervention to help him personally, this is where he is seeking God. But when he doesn't have any particular need, this is when he is living however he wants to live and doing whatever he wants to do. Which again applies to us. Like, like we, we, God is not there just as an emergency, you know, for us whenever things are bad. God is there all the time. And he calls us to worship him all the time. And, and we are in need of salvation all the time. This is one of the reasons actually like we emphasize the idea of confession so much. Because the more we realize that we are sinners, the more we realize that we are in need of the mercy of God constantly. It's not just for certain big sins that I commit that I need God's mercy. It's all the time. I'm committing sin all the time, even if I'm not aware of it, right? We come before God. We are repenting of our sins. We acknowledge and realize that we are unworthy of eternal life, and we're asking God to have mercy on us. So we always feel like we are in need of God. The, the idea of being in need of God should be constant. We should feel constantly that we are in the need of God. Right? The moment when we no longer feel in the need of God, this is when we become puffed up, this is when we rebel against him, and so on. Okay, So cultivating in ourselves the constant realization of our need of him, this is um, very important for our spiritual life. So here he is again, now also bringing gifts to go to the prophet Ahijah, hopefully trying to get something good from him, Right, that he would heal my son. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. So he was very old, he couldn't see. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam, coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. So she was disguised. Um, she didn't want him to know who she was. But God, of course, revealed it to him. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps, as she came through the door, he said, Come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you, and yet you have not been as my servant David who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you, for you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone. Again, very uh, clear and severe judgment, which involves the death of his son because his son was to be his heir and now he will have no heir. The dog shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Arise, therefore, go to your own house. When your feet enter the city, the child shall die. So um, Jeroboam's wife came to the prophet to receive comfort and healing, but what she received was condemnation and judgment and terror. Right? Again, we... God is both. He has both, right? When we go to God for comfort, we go to God for healing, we go to God for, for many, many good things. But, but when we are not repentant, when we, uh, when we choose to live a life of wickedness, when we go to God, we don't find those things, right? We, we find judgment. And this is here what, 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 what the lesson that they are, are learning, right? You can't just live your life however you want and expect that you're going to go to God in the moments where you need him and he's going to grant you your, your supplications, and then you're going to go right back again to living however you want. Um, I, I wanted to go back to the promise that he had made Jeroboam in 1 Kings 11 and see how the tone and the words, of course, are so different than what we are hearing now, right? And to see again how Jeroboam, in his own, by his own will, cast aside all of the blessings that God had offered to him. He had said to him, 
I will take you and you shall rule over all your heart's desires and you shall be king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did. Then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David and will give Israel to you. Right. This is the promise that he had given Jeroboam, a beautiful promise that he completely trampled on. He completely, you know, despised this, pro this promise that God gave him. And the moment he became king, he began to think that this is according to my own power, according to my own talent, my own cleverness, that I am king and I have to do whatever it is to maintain it and, and, and do whatever it is that I choose to do. So Jeroboam had the potential to be very great, but unfortunately... He very, very quickly fell. And maybe this is another lesson we can learn is the corruption that comes with power, right, is very real. I mean, King Solomon himself became corrupted because of his great wealth and his great power. And Jeroboam, very, very quickly, the moment that he rose to power, he became corrupted, even though he knew very well that God is the one who put them in that place and that in order for him to be successful, it was only through the hand of God. He rejected that. So oftentimes when we maybe look to, like we set goals for ourselves that we want to be wealthy, we want to have this and this and we have that, we're thinking that those things are good for us. Maybe those things are harmful for us, right? And the reason that God doesn't allow us to have those things, to have the things that we desire, um, is because he knows they are harmful. Um, if these people here um, could not handle this this kind of power and they... They, they, they went mad with, with, you know, with the power that they had and they made very poor choices. Um, maybe, maybe that's not a kind of life that we should want. A kind of life we should desire is a life of simplicity, uh, not, not a life of, 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 of prominence like this um, that can make even the strongest people to fall. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him, for he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel and the house of Jeroboam. What does this mean? All Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. Who is he talking about him? The son. Okay. For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. What does that mean? What does it mean he will be the only one to come to the grave? He's the only one who's actually going to be buried because he talked about like the dogs and all that. Yeah, he's the, he's the only one who's actually going to be buried. He's saying because, because there is found something good toward the Lord God. Like there was something good in him. Okay. So he is the only one who's going to have the dignity of being buried. Everyone else is not even going to have a burial in his house who's going to be killed. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What even now? For the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. What does it mean to be um, to be scattered beyond the river? What river is he talking about? Euphrates? Not the Euphrates. The Jordan River. Because the Jordan River was the eastern border of Israel. Right? So to go beyond the river meant you are going to be exiled. Right? Beyond Israel. And so the Assyrians are to the east. The Assyrians are ultimately going to be the one to wipe out Israel, take them to be captive um, in exile. So this is what he is what he is saying. They will be scattered beyond the river because they have made wooden images. Okay? And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sins against who sinned and who made Israel sin. So essentially the condemnation has already been declared, even though it doesn't happen immediately even though there are still hundreds of years and other kings left to go. But the, the prophecy here is that the, the sin that was rooted and established in Jeroboam was never going to be plucked out, was never going to be undone, and that it was kind of they were on a downhill path that can never be recovered from at this point, which again says something, that 
the introduction of sin in our lives is very difficult to remove, right? It's not impossible to remove. Of course, with everything, God is uh, every, with God. Everything is possible, but but to once we introduce sin, once we taste it, it's very hard to remove it again, right? It's uh, it's much more difficult to remove it than it was if the, the, the compared to if we had never even approached it, if we have never tasted it, right? It's easier for someone, for instance, to never smoke than it is to start smoking, become addicted to smoking, and then stop smoking. Right, it's it's much harder having tasted the sin because sin is by its nature it attaches itself to us, right? Its desire is for us, right? Just as what God had said to Cain um, in the book of Genesis, when when he was warning him about the hatred that he began to feel for his brother, right? He says its desire is for you, right? Your the the hatred its desire is for you, like like it's attached itself to you. You have to defeat it. Otherwise, you are going to fall into a, into sin, which is what happened when Cain murdered his brother Abel. So here, the sin of Jeroboam was going to leave a, a long-lasting impact that was ultimately going to doom the whole nation. And as I said before, the Assyrian exile happened in the year 722. It's recorded in, in the book of 2 Kings. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war, and how he reigned, indeed are they written, indeed they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was twenty two years, so he rested with his fathers, then Nadab his son reigned in his place. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Nema and, and Ammonitis. So right now, uh, who is the king in the north? Nadab, the son of Jeroboam. And who is the king in the south? Rehoboam still, the son of King Solomon. Now Judah, and this is one of the things you have to get used to in the book of 1 Kings, is it alternates between Israel and Judah, right? Remember, Israel is, whenever you see Israel, that's referring to the northern kingdom. Judah is the southern kingdom. Now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed, more than all their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars, and wooden images on every high hill and under every green tree. And there were also perverted minds, persons in the lands. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. So now there's the king Shishak from Egypt. He is coming to attack Jerusalem. And he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. He took away everything. He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. Do you remember the status of what it was like under King Solomon in terms of all of the wealth? What did it say about gold and silver in, in, in the time of King Solomon? Everything was made of gold. Why? Because silver was counted as nothing. Right? Like, like that's how glorious King Solomon was and how wealthy he was, that even silver was considered like, like nothing at all. And now, after all of this, the kingdom is on the decline. Um, it doesn't have the glory that it had before. All of the gold shields uh, that Solomon had made were stolen, and, and they had to make a replacement with bronze shields that the soldiers, the captains, would be, the captains of the guard would use who guarded the doorway of the king's house. So again, the, 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 the introduction of sin has caused the splendor of Israel to fade, has caused the, the glory of God in Israel, in, 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 in the kingdom here of Judah, to fade. Meaning, when people looked at the kingdom under Solomon, they, they were famous, right? Like all the other nations around would look at the kingdom of Israel and say, what is this? When we spoke about the queen of Sheba, who heard about the fame of King Solomon <coughs> and came from very far away just to see it because 
he he had such a reputation that he was like and, and that people would glorify God because of what he was glorify God because of what this kingdom was and, and they would hear about it from far away kind of like when we um, hear about the life of a saint right like this saint he is like like the, like a kingdom like a glorious kingdom in whom the Holy Spirit dwells then we read about them or we see them we we see like the work of God in this person we see like like something that magnifies God glorifies God in this person and we want to imitate them we want to be like them right but when a person falls into sin they are no longer kind of like reflecting the light of Christ they're no longer like the light of the world just as Christ is the light of the world and so their their glory diminishes right and their glory fades and this is what was happening here right because of the sin that would had been introduced into the into the kingdom the glory of Israel had faded and it no longer had that reputation and people saw weakness now they were willing to go up and fight against them they went and they robbed the treasures they took away the treasures of the house of the Lord right and the treasures of the king's house all the things that King Solomon had built up that we spoke about in detail about all the things that had been made all these things now are being pillaged and whenever the king entered the house of the Lord the guards carried them and brought them back into the guard room now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah and there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days so Rehoboam rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David his mother's name was Nema the Ammonites then Abijam his run his son reigned in his place so now we've got Nadab in the northern kingdom and Abijam and the southern kingdom one last point yeah go ahead isn't that the second time he brings it up in verse uh, 21 he says that and then again is there something important about being an Ammonitus I think it's just indicated because an Ammonitus from the people of Ammon so she was a Gentile I think it's just mentioning it because Rehoboam was born from King Solomon and a, a, a Gentile so actually in a sense like like that was part of the problem that he had all of these w marriages to women who were outside of Israel and so maybe he just wants to emphasize that of who she was um, like piggybacking off of what I was saying about like the the glory of the kingdom waning not only is the relationship between Israel and the rest of the world in turmoil but the internal relationship between Israel is in turmoil the conflict that's between the north and the south that they're always fighting together and you see all of these things are all happening at the introduction of of sin it all ha it all started with Solomon right at the introduction of sin you begin to have first the division internally and then that division begins to grow and result in conflict externally right so like the whenever we are not right in our relationship with God we begin to have in ourselves like internal conflict we are no longer at peace with ourselves right we are no longer um, as, as like the scripture when he says that we should be simple right being simple means being one it's the opposite of being complicated or complex being complex means there's like many factors but being simple means that we are just one thing I'm always the same person I am the person standing before God in my room I'm the same person in the church I'm the same person at work I'm the same person with my friends I'm always the same person I'm simple because I'm one right I'm one person always and that one person is with God always right and and we see like like when in the book club when we're studying the book father Arseni and that you see about him that he is always one he's the same person no matter where he is or who he's with he's always one he's always the same person his, his responses have nothing to do with with who he's with his responses are always one right I am I am the one person and here when um, Israel began to bring in other gods other things of worship which you could say that it started with King Solomon and his worship of these many women right was in a sense a kind of idol worship and then he brought in the the actual places of worship that they wanted to worship the high places that he made for his wives who could worship their other gods and then that brought in idol worship in all of Israel 
And then that brought in division between the kingdom and more idol worship. And then that brought in conflict with other nations and, 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 and pillaging and, and poverty. And, and like all of these things, everything's all happening together. And it all started with the sin, right? When, when Israel did not see in God anymore as like her, her, her sustenance, her goal, all of these things began to happen. All the deterioration began to happen, which is going to last for generations. So it's a lesson for us. And one of the reasons that we study Israel and what Israel represents in the Old Testament, of course, it represents the church um, in the promises that God makes to Israel as made to the church in the New Testament, but it also represents the human soul, right? Because, because Israel is rep it represents the, the, the people of God, and we are the people of God. Right, we learn from the mistakes that Israel makes, so that we also, God willing, do not repeat those same mistakes. Any final comments? Okay, glory be to God forever. Amen. We can pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask for your mercy, O Lord, in all things. And we ask, O God, that you help us to be attached to you and to nothing else. We thank you, O Lord, because you are patient with us, that you wait for us, O Lord, to realize how much we need you. We ask, O God, that you open our ears and help us to see, O Lord, all of the ways you are calling to us, all of the ways, O Lord, that you are drawing us closer to, you, to yourself. Help us, O Lord, to flee from sin and not to indulge in it or not to find any pleasure in it, but only to see you, O Lord, as our, as our sustenance and the only one, O Lord, whom we seek to please and the only one we want to spend eternity with. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion, the gift of the Holy Spirit, be with you all. Go in peace, the peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.